Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to Man in the Post pre-season preview, preview pods. Um, today, I am joined by a Leicester City fan. I'm joined with, by Mr. Jim Knight. Jim, how are we? Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Uh, good to be here and looking forward to the new season. Before we get on to the season that's just about to start, I mean, what was your thoughts on, on last season in general and how you ended up? Yeah, it was obviously disappointing to, to miss out on the Champions League spot on the last day of the season for the second year in a row. Um, I think it would, wouldn't be a fair assessment to say that wasn't disappointing because especially after a year of COVID, no fans in the stadium, you know, that kind of financial, um, addition is great if you can, make it happen and obviously the difference between Europa League and Champions League is a world apart to, to clubs especially of Leicester's size um, where the budget is probably a little bit smaller or probably not that much smaller I guess these days but pretty small compared to, to some of the super elite clubs at the top of the table but the FA Cup was a huge sweetener on the end of that and I think the way that we won it you know with such a spectacular goal um, from Euro Tielemans at Wembley in the end was the icing on the cake of what was still a pretty good season. I don't think we can complain at being the fifth best team in the Premier League, um, given the, the talent that we've got at our disposal. It was just a little bit disappointing to drop away at that very last match again. And, you know, we just hope that we can write that this season and maybe go one better, albeit it looks a very tough division this year, arguably tougher than it's been the last two years when we've fallen just short. Expectations are are high enough, I guess, but winning the FA Cup, which last major domestic tournament Leicester were to win in our history, was was a very, very sweet end to the season indeed. Right, so a couple of things on that. I'll go full transparent. Um, I'm quick to lambast your manager quite a lot on our on our weekend review show. I'm not his biggest fan. I'll um, hold my hands up there. But squad-wise, you were in the top four in the last two seasons. Something silly like, I want to say 68 weeks of the season, yeah. Do something, something silly like that. Um, so full transparency, I'm quick to berate him and um, slag him when it comes to his, his faults there. But a question I always ask, I, I do the podcast on the weekend shows with a Newcastle fan and a Villa fan. So as a Liverpool fan, I've kind of got a bit of snobbery when it comes to the domestic cups. So my question was what we were talking about at the end of the season. Would you have given up that top four place for the FA Cup win? You know, if it was reversed, would you have preferred, not preferred, that's the wrong word, but would you have taken losing the FA Cup but to secure top four? I think if you were a, a kind of cold-hearted, very analytical, very kind of financial-driven fan, then yes, I think you probably would give up the FA Cup for the Champions League. But I think only because of, like I say, even if you go out in the group stage, you make more than you would make winning the Europa League, for example. Um, and I know not 
football's not always about money, although it seems increasingly so these days. It, it's tricky to to kind of look at those and say, no, the FA Cup was definitely the better decision for the club as a whole financially. But I think the way in which we won it, and like I wasn't lucky enough to be at the at the final myself, but to see the way that we won it and the the end to what was a really difficult season with at least some fans in the stadium with restricted capacity. I don't think that one magic moment you would give up for the Champions League. So I think ultimately it ended up, I mean, of course I'm going to say this because we won the FA Cup and we dropped out of the top four and technically we could have had both. It wasn't one or the other. Um, our performance on the last day of the season wasn't good enough and therefore we, we didn't make it into the top four. Um, but yeah, I think looking back on it, some fans will say yes and some no, but I think the majority would probably still rather have had the FA Cup, especially the way in which we won it as well, um, with some fans there in, in the stadium at Wembley. It was a very, very special moment. And I think, you know, we gear up, we go again. We've not sold any players over the summer, you know, major kind of outgoing. So hopefully the squad is as strong, if not a little bit stronger than it was last year. And, you know, we, we've still got that ambition to, to be in the top four. The last thing I'll say on that as well is probably because... Most fans of, you know, a, a relatively decent age have now seen us play in the Champions League from the year that we won the title. So perhaps if we hadn't ever qualified for the Champions League before, it would be seen as a much bigger miss to drop out of the top four um, on the last day of the season because we'd have never played in that competition before. Whereas because we have in the not too distant past, perhaps there's still some fond memories of that. And yeah, you'd like to go back to that. But at the same time, the FA Cup was the one that had eluded us on the domestic circuit to this point. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And as, as you mentioned, and rightly so, obviously after the year and a half we've all had as, as football fans, you you guys probably had the, the best moment. And just the way the fans and obviously the owner and chairman, etc., all celebrated together was just, it was almost that magic of the FA Cup that they all seem to talk about, you know. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was super special. And like I say, I wasn't lucky enough to be there. The the I've got a season ticket at Leicester, but I'm not a diehard that goes to every away game and accumulates the, the loyalty points in that sense. So I wasn't top of the priority to, to get a ticket for Wembley with reduced capacity, whereas I would have been able to go if we had a full stadium. So that was obviously a bit disappointing in the sense of you not being able to go and see it in person. But even watching, you know, at home with friends, as we were able to do with with a small group inside um, at that point of the summer, it was, you know, fantastic to, to kind of witness it and to see the way it unfolded. And you're right, I think there are so many bad owners in football um, or owners that are in it for the wrong reasons. And as a Liverpool fan, you'll probably feel that, you know, as much, if not more than most, um, with people that are in it for the wrong the wrong reasons, um, to saddle clubs with debt or to use them as PR exercises or sports washing, whatever, whatever. But I think we're really, really lucky at Leicester to have, you know, arguably the best owners around in the sense of, you know, even when Kunvichai passed away tragically, the, the, the legacy that he left with Top, the, the chairman now, who was the, the vice chairman under his dad, was, you know, it was already sealed. There was never any doubt, I don't think, from, from Leicester City fans or the majority of Leicester fans that we would continue to kind of push on as a club and build, hopefully, what is a, a legacy um, for, for the younger generations of fans to look back on, as well as the older ones. And we're just, you know, I think you can tell from that FA Cup the way that, that Top was kind of brought down onto the pitch after the players had had their celebration as well. He wasn't interjecting. He was welcomed down by 
Vardy and Rogers and Schmeichel, those influential um, personalities in the dressing room, and they wanted him to be part of that celebration. It genuinely feels like a real family atmosphere and it can be corny and cheesy and people will look at it sometimes with a bit of a side eye and say, oh, here he is again on the pitch, you know. Um, but the guy's done so much and his family have done so much for the club that it genuinely does feel like, you know, we're one of the lucky ones to be owned by uh, a company and a, a family that want the best for the club and the fans. And, you know, they they show that time and time again, both on the pitch and off the pitch. We're immensely lucky to, to have them at the helm. And, you know, we're all very, very confident in in kind of their ability to guide the club forward in the right direction. Yeah, no, 100%. As, as you mentioned, as someone whose owners are very rarely even at the, the stadium, it, it was nice to see them celebrate and, as you say, gave the players and, and fans their moment first and then, as you say, invited down. Um, on to the summer then, and as you, you alluded to earlier, obviously no major outgoings so far, although there's been there's been talk, obviously. Of your, uh, I think Tillman's has been a, a major talk in, in Madison as of late. I mean, what's your thoughts on that and, and what incomes and incomings pardon me, have you had so far? Um, in terms of the outgoings, yeah. So basically the the modus operandi for, for Leicester for the last few years have been to do okay, uh, well, very, very well in a lot of cases, and then to sell at least one big player every summer. Um, I think that's probably the way it will continue next year. But I think the kind of depressed market, if you look at a lot of the players that are kind of marooned a little bit at their various clubs at the moment because there just aren't the finances in place for them to move elsewhere. So you look at like Bernardo Silva at Manchester City, for example, you know, he clearly is wanting to move on. I think City have, have openly kind of said that they want him to move on, but he's a 50, 60, 70 million pound player potentially given his pedigree. So who's, who's going to take him on? The two major super clubs in Spain are skin. Um, Atletico Madrid maybe but again that's a huge transfer for them to pay Juventus Inter both have their issues as well Um, and obviously PSG are the ones that are are trying to land Lionel Messi as we speak so they've got bigger fish to fry Um, so there's probably quite a few players like that that just mean the market's super depressed for high transfer fees and yes we've seen a few but nowhere near as many as you might expect in a kind of regular summer transfer period so Hopefully, uh, we hold on to both Madison and, and Tielemans. If, if we did have to let one go, I would say Madison is the most expendable in the sense that I think what he brings to the club is amazing, but I also think it, we can replicate that or something close to it with the assets that we've already got. We could push Yuri Tielemans forward into a role that he played when Madison was injured, um, and I think he could kind of make his own um, strides forward in that creative number 10 kind of uh, linchpin position, but we don't want to lose anybody, especially not those big players. Tielemans would be a massive, massive blow if we, if we were to lose him. But again, both of those players, you know, we're, Leicester is a side of very canny in the way that they'll sign players who've had one or, you know, at least one, if not two good seasons to a long-term contract. We've seen this with Ben Chilwell. We've seen it with Harry Maguire. The guys will be signed to long-term contracts to the point at which you know, we're now having a similar conversation about Harry Kane at Tottenham as we record. You know, this is wrangling going on between Manchester City and Tottenham about the fee. The fact remains that Harry Kane's got three years left on his Tottenham contract. If Daniel Levy doesn't want to sell, then ultimately that's probably going to end up in him staying as a Tottenham player. And that's kind of the situation Leicester often find themselves in because they'll offer Tielemans um, or Madison or, you know, whoever it is, a new deal to the point where it's very, very expensive to buy 
an asset from a club like Leicester who aren't short of a few quid, have wealthy owners and have their players tied down to contracts that are sometimes four, five, six years in length um, at that point. So it makes it very, very, very difficult. And yet yeah, it does happen. Maguire's left, Chilwell's left, Kante left. That was a slightly different contract. We, we got stung a little bit by a release clause there. But it does happen. We will occasionally sell players and players want to move on. And I'm sure Madison would love the opportunity to play at a quote unquote bigger club than Leicester. But it might not be this year, you know, for the reasons that we've just mentioned. In terms of incomings, there's been a few and I think Leicester have done some good business. So uh, we'll start at the, the cheaper end of the spectrum and you can't get much cheaper than Ryan Bertrand on a free uh, from Southampton. He, I think a lot of people thought he'd probably just be cover um, for the left-hand side of our, our defence um, when he when he signed. But at the moment, we've got Timothy Castagna out um, with, um, he fractured his cheekbone um, earlier on in, in the year. And so he's kind of not played in pre-season much at all. Um, so Bertrand's kind of our de facto left back to start the campaign at the moment. He started in the Community Shield. Um, he's played a lot in pre-season and he's taking corners on the left-hand side. So there might well be a run in the team for him to start the campaign, which is exciting. He's, he's 31 and I think he'll add squad depth um in the in the kind of medium term, even if he's not the number one choice when you get the likes of Castagna back if Luke Thomas kicks on at left back, um, or if we want to kind of rotate where we play James Justin, for example, who's normally a, a right back, but if with Ricardo Pereira playing right back, he's one of our best players, if not the best player uh, technically we've got in our team. So it, it might well be the case that Justin's deployed on the left when he gets back from his injury, but again he's he's recovering. So that's not likely to be in the short term. Um, and then the two players that we brought in from abroad um, were Bubakari Samare, who's a defensive midfielder, French under-21 international from Lille. Um, he's 22 now, but he has played at under-21 level with um, Wesley Fofana. Um, and he came in for, I think it was about £18 million. So we've not seen much of him yet. We saw a little bit of him in the Community Shield, and he looked very much in that Wilfred and Dealey role, kind of defensive midfield, very tall, very rangy, tackling, holding people off, you know, disrupting in the midfield, trying to break up opposition attacks and restart counters going the other way. So exciting and great for us to have depth there because defensive midfield has been an area that's been quite threadbare um, in the last couple of seasons and you know we're often relying on Wilfred and Dealey to play centre-back during injury crises that we've had and that means that we're playing someone like Hamza Chowdhury in central midfield who is an amazing academy prospect and it's great to see a local Leicester lad getting game time but Samare looks a, a significant upgrade on him so adding squad depth again is it's fantastic, even if he's not an automatic starter to begin with. At 22, it's very much in the Leicester mould to bring him in and hope to develop him similar to the way we've built Ndidi um, up over the last few seasons. And then if he, if he moves on, hopefully it's for a significantly bigger fee than we, um, than we paid for him this summer. Uh, and then I suppose that the final acquisition kind of that you want to talk about, apart from the guys coming back off loan, were, was uh, Pat Sandaka, who was at Red Bull Salzburg, um, and very, very prolific in the Austrian uh, Bundesliga. But I'm, I don't profess to watch a lot of Austrian football. I, I see them occasionally in the Champions League. Um, but I must admit, I, I kind of don't know a lot about him. He comes with a lot of hype around him because he scored a lot of goals. But again, I don't know what the standard's like that he's scoring against. If you're playing for the best team in Austria, you know, how good are those goals in, in Premier League terms? 
Um, he's a, a Zambian international and looks very lively from what we've seen of him. He, he played against Villarreal in a friendly um, earlier on in the week and then again came on to good effect um, in the Community Shield, was part of the move that, that won the penalty, that, that got the winning goal. So he looks very, very fast and it'll be interesting to see how he kind of lines up in the medium term because obviously Vardy is our number one striker He's kind of gone off the boil since his groin injury in January and Inacho stepped up. Now we've got Dakar in the mix. It seems like we've almost got too many strikers, which is a great problem to have. It's just a matter of how Rogers will rotate them and kind of keep them all happy because I think all three of them, you know, given Vardy's immense status and, and legend kind of at the club, Pats and Dakar's significant transfer fee of £27 million pounds, um, and then Inacho's form. Each one of those has got a claim to, to start and have plenty of game time. And unless we're going to start playing two up top, then it's going to be a tricky kind of balancing act for Rodgers to keep all of those happy because there's only so many games in the season. Yeah, I mean, on on Dhaka, I, I feel just the way you're talking about, obviously, we you had played only one for the majority of Rodgers' time. But I felt, and I don't know, I could be wrong, bearing in mind obviously how little I would watch about it yourself, but it felt like he was playing too near the end of the season where, as you said, any actual form and, and Vardy always always played because what he brought was important, but the goals had almost dried up. So yeah. you know, if, if that was to continue on the way the way any actual form had gone on, obviously Vardy's still massively important in the in the squad and in the changing room. So it's almost pressure free for Dakar coming in, you know, because he's not expected to come in and and replace Vardy or hit the ground, you know, run into that elite level as such. He can almost, you know, play himself into form if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean that would be the ideal um that would be the ideal kind of situation, I guess. And maybe it's a look at the future in terms of Vardy at thirty four kind of playing less of a pivotal role for the club. Um and, you know, I, I, I love Vardy. I think he, he will probably go down as our best ever player, given the story and given his background, where he came from, what he's managed to achieve, what he's managed to win. Um, you know, bearing in mind he hadn't kicked uh, a ball professionally until he was in his mid-20s. Um, so I think he will he will undoubtedly go down as a legend. But you're right, he was playing two, Rogers was playing two up top. Um, at the back end of last season, and that's where Ian Acho was really shining um, as kind of a foil to Vardy. The, the issue, well, the kind of reason for that being possible was that Madison was out injured, which allowed us to kind of rejig the formation slightly to play two up top. Now that Madison's back and kind of wants to dominate that number 10 position, it kind of leaves you without too many options unless you sacrifice someone like Ozzy Perez and push Madison out wide on the on the the wing because I can't see us abandoning the double pivot in defensive midfield which is occupied by Ndidi and then Tielemans who kind of stride forward so you're kind of running out of spots to to make that second striker happen um, unless he wants to play a 4-2-2 with the first two being um, the defensive double pivot the two out wide being genuine wingers but again that's not where Madison tends to shine he will drift out wide to pick the ball up but he's a lot more effective in central positions and that's kind of he's like a true number 10 in that sense so again unless you know that is to kind of change then it's kind of difficult to accommodate both strikers and I think the way the, the biggest clue we have at this moment we can kind of guess and, and and look back at last season as a good pointer and it absolutely is but given the injury kind of situation I think the the most important piece of 
uh, of information we've got is the formation that we started with in the Community Shield because for me that's probably a good indication of what exactly Rogers sees as our strongest team at the moment. Um, it was pretty much a first choice 11 to start at Wembley, which is totally understandable given the new season's less than a week away. Um, and it was one up front and that one was Vardy and he missed a hatful of chances, um, to put us ahead. So good in one way, bad in another. And hopefully Vardy kind of finds his shooting boots, but his form for the last six months isn't very good at all. I think he's got two goals in 28 games or something ridiculous now. Um, and he is getting into good positions, but he's just not finding the back of the net. So hopefully he's able to kind of get up and running maybe against Wolves in the first game of the season and then maybe those those doubts go away. But he's going to Rogers is going to be under pressure if Vardy starts the season the way he finished last campaign and we've got two strikers on the bench that can undoubtedly offer more um in the final third as well as kind of what Vardy does. Yeah, I think I think that's always been his biggest decision he had upcoming how how to deal with the uh... I don't want to say the end of Vardy, but you know, almost that transition to 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 what's next. And as you say, any actual form which not many people saw coming, like the way he finished the season. I mean, I don't know around Leicester fans, but any, any not, many, not many Leicester fans saw it coming. Yeah. To be honest, he he looked he looked out not out of his depth because we'd saw we'd seen him score goals at Man City, but he came in with a huge transfer fee. A big reputation as this super sub um, at Manchester City out of their academy, and he basically never really lived up to the hype. And it wasn't really until he got a run in the team as a Vardy replacement slash foil for Vardy when he came back from his groin surgery that we really saw what Ineesha is capable of. And you know, undoubtedly, he was the star of the second half of our season. He got into double-digit goals very, very quickly, which kind of kept us in the race for top four, because with Vardy not scoring, that would have been the end of it if we'd have, we'd have failed to, to score those goals. So it's a really interesting kind of love triangle, I guess, is the best kind of way that I can point to it. You've got these three options, one of which is the shiny new signing that comes with a big reputation, one of which is the legend who, yes, you're right, is kind of entering the twilight of his career now, and I don't think he'd kind of dispute that, given his age, even though he's got fewer miles on the clock than a lot of 34-year-olds that are playing Premier League football. Um, And you've got the guy who's kind of breaking through and is, in theoretically, in the prime of his career. So, it's a really, really interesting one and it'll be fascinating to see how Rogers kind of changes things because, you know, I'd almost like him to kind of be flexible enough to maybe go two up top against teams like Wolves on the first day of the season that are normally quite defensive, or they certainly were under Nuno, um, play on the counter and typically they're often sides that we've struggled to break down at home. So maybe at home we kind of go with two at the top. If you're going away to a big team like Liverpool or Manchester City um, or Chelsea, maybe you go for the 4-2-3-1 option that offers you a bit more defensive cover. I don't know, but he's very kind of rigid in formation, Rogers normally. Once he finds a, si- yeah. a system, he'll stick to it. And that kind of goes against the grain of what you'd expect him to do. So I don't think it's likely, especially. Um, but he is going to he is going to have that decision to make, all those series of decisions to make um, over the next few months. And it will be fascinating because I can't see Dakar and Ian Acho being happy to only get 20 or 30 minutes off the bench if Vardy isn't scoring. So I think it, it first and foremost, it comes down to that. Um, but if Vardy isn't scoring like he isn't at the moment and he hasn't been for the last few months, it really kind of puts the pressure on Rodgers to think a little bit about dropping him is the wrong word, maybe rotating in others and giving them a chance. But is one is one game the 
you know, enough. Like if Daka starts and he doesn't score, is he then rotated to the back of the queue and Inacho comes in and vice versa? So it's a really, really interesting one. I mean, I think it's a great problem to have because we've been light up top and the big question around, um, the, the club for the last, I don't know, two, three years really since we changed to this formation of 4-2-3-1 under Rodgers or, or a version of it, has been what do we do when Vardy doesn't play anymore or can't score the goals that he can anymore. So it's almost like we've gone from having no replacements to, to Vardy, which we had at the start of last season when everyone assumed Nacho was basically a, a dead duck, uh, you know, a duck in the, dead duck in the water, basically, um, you know, and, and wasn't going to offer that. And now, now he's got a new contract and we've got Pats and Dakar as well. So, it's it's a really really interesting question that I think Rogers will will have to to think about. Yeah, definitely one yeah, for keeping an eye on. And just last thing on transfers then, and, and on this, on this summer so far is, do you see any more incomings coming in? Um, obviously, you've you've alluded to the the price tags on, especially on Tillmans and Madison, and I, I completely agree. I can't see the, the only way I can see big big signings like those going who deserve the money that that you mentioned are if. It was like a domino effect, you know, if a signing came from somewhere else and, and that's where it came. But, yeah, any more additions you can see incoming, really? The, yeah, a week ago, I'd have said no. I think we've probably done. The issue that we've got now is that we're very, very light at centre-back. Um, so we started Daniel Amati in the, the Community Shield, who's been um, really unfortunate with injuries over the last two or three years. He's had two real, real horror injuries kind of back-to-back. Um, he was just in recovery from his first one and then basically was out for another nine months in a in a training game. Um, so he's dropped in at centre-back, but the reason he's had to do that is because Wesley Fofana's got a broken leg. There was a, an absolutely horrific challenge in the Villarreal friendly um, midweek that, that basically broke his leg. And he's not going to be back until 2022, Rogers says. So we're already looking at at least four or five months for him. Um, timeline to be back and, you, you know, those things take time. Um and I wouldn't be surprised not to see him for six or seven months, um, depending on how bad the break is. Johnny Evans would normally be a good partner at the back for Sionchu, but he's also struggling with an injury on and off. He might well be fit a few weeks into the season, but I think Rogers has kind of alluded to the fact that the first international break will be the first opportunity he's got to, to kind of prove his fitness and get back into the squad. So... There may well be a move for some centre-back cover, I think, because we're so light there. Ideally, we don't want to drop Wilford and Didi into centre-back, but I think that is probably one of the options we've got, along with Amati. We have got Philip Benkovic as well, who's out on loan last season that's come back in, but it's weird. Rogers had Benkovic at Celtic and kind of sung his praises from the rooftops when he first signed for, for Leicester as manager, and Benkovic was coming back at the end of that season from his loan. Benkovic has barely kicked a ball under Rodgers, so something clearly is amiss there. Like I don't know whether he just thought he was a great defender in Scotland when they were winning the SPL and all the other titles every year, but then when he came back to England, I don't know whether Benkovic just hasn't trained on in the way that Rodgers thought he would, but I think everyone assumed that he'd be the natural successor at centre-back to, to Harry Maguire because of the fact that he had the connection with Rodgers um, from their time at Celtic together. So it was a really strange one, that. And there are options there. It's not like we're super, super light, but... He doesn't seem to fancy either of them, um, Amati or or um, Benkovic at centre back. So I think there's been links to Yannick Vestergaard uh, at Southampton, who obviously is a big rangy centre back, who I think is in the last year of his contract or the last couple of years. So in theory, he would be available for a relatively cut price. I think it's 15 million being banded around. Um, so I think that would be a solid move if we needed him to come in because. 
I think once if Fafana was fit and Evans was fit, we'd have you know no problem. But with both of those out and Evans um, struggling ongoing and Fafana out for the foreseeable, we really do need a bit of cover at the back, especially because Rogers occasionally likes to switch to a back three. Um, at the moment, we've got one fit senior centre back, so that's going to be an issue. Um, if he wants to do that, Amati is a bit of a utility player who can play centre back and can do so really effectively. But I don't know if Rogers sees him as the long term solution. I could be wrong, but I think that will be the only other incoming if there is someone to, to sign in the next, you know, couple of weeks until until the window closes. It will be it will be at centre back cover potentially alone as well. Um, you know, to, if we don't feel a permanent transfer is called for. Um, we wrote, we loaned Ryan Bennett from Wolves, like he was their fifth just centre back, and we just took him as basically a body in the in the squad um, a couple of seasons ago. So perhaps something like that, um, if we feel that all the other options on a permanent basis are kind of not value for money, essentially. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I wonder if we could tempt you into signing that Phillips in anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've been linked with um, with Kabak more kind of likely who's yeah. been at Liverpool not too not too long ago because um, I think has he gone back to is it Schalke he was he was at and he's gone back there um, they're all now and obviously for three now it's yeah I mean and obviously they were relegated weren't they from Bundesliga into Bundesliga too so potentially someone like that again that's the kind of level that we're looking at probably someone who isn't a guaranteed starter when everyone's fit but is happy to kind of slot into that role and we feel can do a job and then he'll kind of fade into the background a little bit and be a squad player for cup games and those Europa League ties when you're sending the squad to goodness knows where on a Thursday night and you've got an important league game on a Sunday or the Monday yeah and I, I still believe he could develop into a, a Premier League first choice defender as well. Um, mm. I thought he was quite good for us in the time he was there. I, I think it's madness that we're not taking a gamble on at the price we could have got, even as just a backup, especially the two two main centre backs. Obviously, just coming back from injury, yeah, it's made of crisps. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but uh, anyway, enough enough about us. I, I rant enough about us later on. Um, so going on to the season then. What's your your own prediction for the season? Where do you think it'll finish? I would be. Uh, I think we're unlikely to be top four again this year because. I feel that the teams that are up there are stronger this year than they were at this time last season. So the start of the 2020-2021 the campaign, I think Manchester United are stronger given their transfer business. I'm still not convinced by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but I don't think I ever will be. Um, he's got so many good players at his disposal now with, with Jaden Sancho and Rafa Varane added that I think they will be there or thereabouts at the top. Obviously, Man City is a given. Um, and I think Chelsea... A very, very strong, now that I've got Thomas Tuchel, I think they're probably the team to look at if you're not looking at Man City for a title winner. Um, so I, I don't think necessarily we'll be a top four team. Obviously, we could be because that's only three teams. Um, and, but obviously, Liverpool are in that mix as well. And I expect them to be stronger now that, as you say, yes, they are coming back. But you had such bad injury luck last season that... I think unless that's the case again and you, it's kind of like being struck twice by lightning for it to be that bad, um, Liverpool will be well in the mix as well for, for the title and for the top four. So I just can't see how we break that monopoly almost of those really established top four clubs. 
Um, but I do think we've got every chance to finish above the likes of Tottenham and Arsenal. Um, so again, I think fifth and sixth are, pro- are probably the ceiling of what we can do this year, unless something extraordinary happens. Um, I just can't, I just can't see it breaking into that top four with um, the demands of the Europa League as well. Um, because it's so brutal on travel, because it's Thursday, which means that you have to play Sunday or Monday, which I think is tougher than the odd Tuesday and Wednesday into a Saturday or Sunday. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think fifth is probably the best we can do. But again, I think that's Leicester's level. I think that's where we should be aiming at. I don't think that should be disappointing. I think the way in which you get there is kind of important. Like if we'd scraped into fifth on the last day of last season, people would have seen it as a triumph. But because we dropped out of the top four into fifth on the last game of the season, people see it as a, a kind of negative. So it's all narrative, isn't it, at times? And, you know, if you if you finish strongly, it's seen as a great finish. If you feel, if you drop away, then it's seen as a bottle job. So I'm hoping we can be in the mix again for top four and ruffle a few feathers of those big, big teams. But I think ultimately fourth or, uh, you know, fifth or sixth is probably about where we'll end up. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think I had just down as six with fifth. Going like no injuries type thing. Yeah. As the Europa League's obviously, it, it is just it's it's almost a burden at times. Um, mm. League campaign, but no, I think I think a good enough eleven, uh, especially the we as you mentioned signings coming in this year has added to the squad. I think <laughs> my again my opinion on Rodgers is different to to most. I always feel Rodgers is your, is your weakness. But anyway, last three questions for yourself. I need three players from yourself. I need a player who who you think is going to kind of be a player of the season. Um, one for opposition fans to kind of look out for. Maybe a, a name that you know doesn't spring to mind, and then one for the, the fantasy football enthusiasts. Just a, okay. a little tip. Okay, cool. Um, so let's see. So I think in terms of the um, player of the season. I, Obviously, you've got the new players to kind of assess, but I think I'm going to go back to um, the old, well, not the old faithful, but a player that I've kind of had a man crush on since he signed because I think he's he's absolutely brilliant, and I think we're very lucky to have him. And I think if he was three inches taller, he'd be playing for a lot better club than Leicester. But Ricardo Pereira, um, he could maybe double up as your uh, fancy football pick because I think he offers a lot more going forward than a lot of fullbacks. I don't know what his price is in FBL this season, um, but I think he'll be pivotal. And I think as long as he stays fit, he had a horrific injury. He was out for almost a year, like basically the entire length of the pandemic, um, where we weren't um, playing with fans and things like that. And he kind of came back at the back end of last season. I think he's got every opportunity to become... Um, the the star of the show down the right hand side. Um, in terms of a player that you might not have heard of, it's tricky because I think Leicester get quite a lot of hype these days. So it's it's tricky to kind of pick someone. But I mean, maybe it is someone like um, Amati if he starts at centre back to kind of keep a lookout because he's flown under the radar so much for the last couple of years again due to injury. People probably aren't really that aware of him. The good thing for him is that he's so versatile. He can play at centre-back, he can play at right-back and he plays defensive midfield as well. Um, so he might get game time in a number of different positions. Um, so I think he's probably the one. The, the issue we've got with Leicester is no player flies under the radar anymore because everyone knows Leicester produce yeah. amazing talent. Um, I would I would maybe make a, a nod to... Actually, this is a better answer, but... 
Um, he might not play that much to begin with. But keep a look out for um, Kieran Dewsbury Hall, who's the, the number 22. He came back from um, a loan spell last season in the Championship. And by all accounts, um, from what I kind of saw, he was at Luton. And I think he was their player of the season. Um, and I think he will start. He's, a, he's an academy prospect. Um, I think he was fantastic at, at Blackpool the season before as well. So he's done that kind of young player, couple of seasons out on loan, now kind of on the fringes of the first team. And I think in terms of like a James Madison type creative midfielder, he'd be kind of someone to look for, maybe in cup games provisionally. Um, where he kind of will cut his teeth, but I think he's he's bang there for contention going into the second half of the season if he kicks on, um, and he's a proper Leicester boy as well. So there's there's a bit of local kind of bias there from me. Um, in terms of your fantasy football pick, like I say, um, Ricardo Pereira is probably one. It's kind of difficult to say someone like Daka because I don't know how much he's going to play. So the last thing you want to do is buy him and have him sat on your bench um, because our first eleven is so kind of. Um, nailed down to some degree. I'd say, mm, let's actually, do you know, to start the season, it's not a pick for the entire season because you'll have to keep an eye on the injury situation. But Ryan Bertrand actually is quite a nice little fancy football prospect because he plays down that left wing. He's got a brilliant delivery on him. And yes, he's 31, so he's not a spring chicken. And he's a very kind of... um Everyone knows what he's about because we've seen him at Chelsea and at Southampton and various places. But he's actually taking corners from the left-hand side at the moment. So if you're looking at a defender that might offer you a little bit more going forward, as well as the opportunity to record clean sheets, if we can finally score some goals from corners, because we are abysmal at corners, but I think part of that is down to the fact that the delivery is normally absolutely terrible. Madison is usually on corners, and he's not been pre-season. He's been playing, but he's not been taking corners, particularly from the left-hand side. So I think maybe Bertrand is your little FPL sleeper there, um, as someone who could contribute some assists, certainly for the first few weeks of the season, and then you can always you know, swap him out if someone like um, Justin or Castagna comes back and gets slotted into that left-back spot. Well, there we go, listeners. You heard it there first. Ryan Bertrand for the first week of the season. Um, that was very insightful. As I say, it's not a, not a club I know great deal about, apart from, you know, on the surface. So it was yeah. good to hear from you, Jim. Um, thank again for jumping on. Um, if you'd just like to let everybody know where they can find you and anything you're, you're doing at the moment. Sure. Um, so yeah, thanks for, for having me on. It's, it's been a pleasure and it's always good to kind of preview a new season when you're still hopeful of, of some success. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Um, I'm also part of, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, the EPL Roundtable, uh, which is a kind of rotating cast of Premier League fans uh, that sit down to, to kind of discuss the week and the, the matches or the, t- the kind of key talking points. And uh, there'll be a, a new episode of that podcast out um, in the next couple of days as we record previewing the new season and talking about the kind of, you know, the hurricane situation um, and our kind of relative hopes for, for the new season across a, uh, a selection of, of Premier League clubs and it, you know it's all fan driven and similar to this I guess you're kind of interviewing fans that have that kind of perspective from watching their teams every week so if this is your thing then I think you'd, you'd definitely like the EPL roundtable as well and you can find that kind of wherever you find this I guess Yeah I, I can't encourage listeners enough that once once you finish listening to our review show on a Monday morning go and, go and check out EPL roundtable but anyway you can find us at Man in the Post on all your social media platforms um, please interact with us. Um, send us a message, what you like, dislike, and more teams will be out shortly. So again, Jim, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks very much. 
Northern Ireland. Always remember to keep your man in the post.